So good to see everybody here today. Now today, I want you to look at somebody and say, the pastor loves you. Okay? Now, uh, the reason I had you do that is because the message I'm gonna be preaching today is very challenging. Challenging of where we are at in the church world in general in the 21st century. Some of it will hit some of us and some of it will not hit some of us. Look at somebody and say, if it hits you, be mature. Love your pastor. If it don't hit you, tell them. If it don't hit you, praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Today's message is going to be very challenging. Something the Lord's been putting to me, I was going to save it to actually later on, and I just can't, I just, I got to deliver it or I'm going to blow up. That's just the way it is. And, uh, it is something that I want you to understand of what I am preaching today doesn't necessarily mean that I think that, that our church is meeting every aspect of that. I'm just trying to protect us. How many knows it's the job of a shepherd to protect the flock? Amen. That's my job. My job is to be a good shepherd and to warn and to protect and to watch over, to instruct, to guide, to teach, to preach. And that's what I'm going to be trying to do here today. I want you to understand that. In no way am I saying that this is a sign of all that our church is, but I'm saying that it is a pattern in the, in the church world in general. And I will say that probably some of these patterns are finding themselves trying to creep into our congregation. And I want to put an ax to it before it happens. Can I have an amen? So I want us to understand, I want you to understand my heart here today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 11, verse 15. And before we do that, uh, we're going to put our uh, declaration up. We're going to do our declaration. Would you put that up, guys? And would you stand for the reading of the declaration together? Here we go. Are you ready? Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and our fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Now give the Lord praise for the declaration of the palace of praise. Amen. Praise the Lord. Remain standing for the reading of the word. Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrow the tables of the money changers and the seat of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written that my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how that they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. Brother Chuck Richardson, elder, would you play over the service this morning, please? Amen and amen. You may be seated. You know, in the last few months, I've been preaching a variety of different kind of messages. However, I told you that in the months of September that we're going to be focusing upon evangelism, soul winning, and the harvest. In the last few months, I've interjected some messages on the call of the church to the harvest, and not that many, but we've been injecting some. So I stand here today again going to preach a prelude to the messages that's going to be forthcoming here in September. 
A matter of fact, I cannot ignore the burden of the Lord that the Lord has put in my heart as a pastor. The messages that I've been intending for September is getting so big inside of me as I'm trying to prepare and study uh, that I, I, I just feel like I'm gonna blow them up if I don't somehow deliver one here and there. This message was actually intended for September, but I'm gonna go ahead and preach it here this morning. You know, you've heard the phrase that, that, that the time is changing. As a matter of fact, that, that phrase was in many ways the theme song for many of us that grew up in the 1960s and the 1970s. That decade was indeed a time of change. It was a time of the hippies, a time of the peace and the love movement. It was a time of Woodstock. It was a decade that introduced LSD and angel dust and marijuana and cocaine and many other types of drugs. Their message in that time was freedom with no rules or no regulations, love with no restraints. It was called the sex revolution age. I grew up in that culture, and matter of fact, and I seen firsthand the consequences of what that culture actually produced. However, as drastic as that change was back then to American culture at the time, those changes were small compared to what is happening right here in this 21st century. The cultural upheaval occurring in America is changing virtually every aspect of our society, and the church is no exception. I want to tell you that the church is under the gun. There is a real battle for the soul of the church today. Everyone has a different viewpoint of what will help it survive and even thrive in the midst of massive changes and challenges. Everyone sees through the lens of their own upbringing and the dispensation of where they were actually lived. The older generation in many churches keeps looking back to what was instead of advancing the church, they try to take it backwards to identify with their perspective of how they seen it through their own lens and their past experiences. Each particular people group identifies and has their own personal ideas of how and what the church should actually look like. Some have called for and moved down the road of cultural adaption or, or what we would call a cultural relevance. We're seeing this mainly the prime example of are the seeker-sensitive churches. But others are circling the wagons and removing themselves from any interaction from the outside world at all. There are churches that look at themselves as holy. They're holding the fort, judging everyone around them and condemning them instead of trying to get involved and minister to them. We could spend hours discussing all of the different perspectives from different age groups of what the church should look like and what the church should become because there's multiple different ideas, models, and perspectives created by multi-facet cultures in America. I can personally testify that I have been overwhelmed myself by this as a pastor. Pastors, church leaders, organizations, whole denominations are overwhelmed by the pressure of coming up with a comprehensive approach of ministry that will identify with different people groups of America along with the diversity of cultures. There is a demand for the church to have a philosophy of ministry that brings clarity, vision to its purpose, and to identify itself through its mission. Matter of fact, with all of the different ideas comes also, you know what comes with it? A of criticisms because the problem of it is you have 50 different people viewing the church differently and everybody thinks they know what's right and everybody likes what they like and before long you have people criticizing no matter what you try if it doesn't fit their mode or their vision through the lens of where they have come from. Sadly, this is causing many to crumble, throw in the towel in ministry due to the pressure and the anxiety of trying to minister effectively and meet everybody's expectation. Did you know that there are hundreds of ministers every single day walking off and walking out of the ministry because of pressure? The pressure on church leadership, church staff, church ministry teams is literally becoming overwhelming. What is the answer in the midst of a whirlwind of ideas and among such intense debate within the church world in itself? There's not only intense pressure outside of the church, but it is building greatly with inside the church. Can I have an amen? 
What is the answer? A world with so where a world with so much tension and diversity. I've never felt anything like it before in my 33 years of pastoring. Never in my 33 years of pastoring have I come up against such a tension in the body of Christ to find its relevance. Where are we at? What are we doing? Who are we are? What is our call? What is our mission? What is our purpose? How do we do this? How do we do that? How do and you just got so much and then when you look out in the world there is all all these answers, all of these models, all of these different ways and approaches to ministry. We must have a clear call and understanding of how to minister in this 21st century and to be effective for the kingdom of God. This thing's all about the kingdom of God and not about ourselves. How many know that? Can I have an amen? Get with me here this morning. What we do must be both simple and revolutionary. I myself in the last few months have struggled putting words words of what I've put it in putting into words of what I feel like that the Holy Spirit is actually saying to us but in the last few days the Lord has just unveiled himself to me and I have to share it here today before you while it's fresh and before I lose the passion of it I feel an urgency to preach to you on a comprehensive approach to ministry that will meet the demands of God and it will be effective upon the people in which it was attended how many believes that the church can still be effective how many believes the church can still be successful how many believes that the church still has the answers? Can I have an amen? Do you really believe that? If you do, say it, shout hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. First of all, I want you to understand something as your pastor. I'm not here to make anybody mad. I'm not here to make anybody upset. First of all, I, I am not here to meet anybody's expectation. I want you to know I'm not here to meet the expectation of the young. I'm not here to meet the expectation of the old. I'm not here to meet the expectation of the middle aged to where I'm at. I'm not here to meet the expectation of the black culture. I'm not here to even meet the, uh, the, uh, the expectations of the white culture. I want to tell you, we are in this thing to meet the expectations of God. God has to be the one that we meet the expectations to. Can you say amen? This must be a God-centered ministry. Everything that we do must be done by the unction and the leading and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. That's where we're at here today. Oh, I'm about to preach to you. I feel it in my soul. God placed us here during this time and he has a plan for he has a plan to use us for his glory. I want you to understand all of us were born for such a time as this, all of us. God has not created you in the wrong dispensation. He has not created you in the, in, in the wrong century. God knows who you are. He knows what you're capable of and he knows how to use you in this 21st century right here and right now. You were created for such a time as this. We have to learn to avoid the, and ignore the cultural changes and go directly to the founder himself. For too long in all generations, not just some generations, all the way back from the turn of the century, all the way till now, all generations, the culture has shaped and dictated how the church was going to do ministry, not by the founder, but by the culture itself. In other words, they're saying we got to do what people like. We got to do what was relevant to people. I want to tell you, when are we going to start understanding? We got to start doing what God likes. Amen. And we cannot allow the culture to dictate. We can learn from it. We can glean from it. We can be contemporary in our approach, keep up with the times. There's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, we cannot allow the culture to shape the church. The church has got to shape the culture. Amen. But God has an answer to all of our questions. He has solutions to all of our problems. The answer to all of our difficulties is found right there in the word of God. If we don't believe that, let's quit preaching the gospel, put a padlock on our doors and go home. There's power in the word of God. And the word of God has the answers and the solutions to our problems. First of all, it is inconceivable to us and even laughable to believe or even entertain the idea that Jesus might show up in the church in the 21st century with a whip and then go around to overturning the tables of coffee and donuts in the four years of churches and in the, in the classroom of churches, then go shouting throughout the building and screaming throughout the building, this is a place of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. 
What would happen if we think that Jesus would do that in the 21st century? We cannot even conceive that idea that Christ is like that. We would have him arrested and some of us would have him crucified. As a matter of fact, we might be like the chief priest. They sought to destroy him. They sought, how are we gonna destroy this guy? Because they, they were seeing that people were astonished by his doctrine. We sure would not accept him as God, Messiah, and Lord in the 21st century culture if Jesus would come in with a whip, turning over things, getting rid of coffee pots, getting rid of donuts. Nothing wrong with that now. Hold on. Don't get all upset here. But what would happen if Jesus done that? It was unthinkable to the Jewish leaders in the earlier part of the first century as well. They looked at him as a mad, crazy, unhinged person, and yet his charges would be unfounded because he was not mad. He was not unhinged, folks. He was God. Can I have an amen? How many knows that Jesus done what he done because it's the right thing to do? Do you believe that? What would happen if he would do it now in our church in the 21st century? Would you still believe that? Come on, that's a harder question. When we read the story, we're on the side of Jesus because history allows us to see it a little bit more clearly than the way that Jewish person saw it. However, if we had lived in that air and our worldview had been through the lens of the prevailing Jewish paradigm, it is likely that we would have been uh, appalled about what Jesus had done and we would have not looked at his actions as holy. Even if we liked him, even if we were attracted to him due to us being intrigued by his teachings and amazed by his miracles and his healings and his power, he would have, we would have probably have felt that such actions that Jesus done that day were over the top, unnecessary, and that he went a little bit too far and that he was radical in his approach. That's what we would have thought. Looking back though, we have been given the advantage of history. It is a view from outside of the prevailing paradigm and the existing culture. The view from inside any paradigm always looks differently from the view of someone looking at it from a lens from far away. We are all shaped by our surroundings and our culture whether we want to believe it or not. Every single one of you are shaped a little different because you were all born at a different time and a different dispensation. Every one of you like different styles of music. Everybody likes different styles and different patterns of orders of services. Everybody likes this and everybody likes that. And then all of a sudden, as the church grows, you know what you have? You have growing pains because everybody likes a little bit of something different. And then they demand you throw every little bitty thing that they like in the service or they're unhappy. Hello, say, I love you, pastor. Smile with your pretty whites. Because we are here in a culture that is about to blow apart. Amen? Our mindset is our biggest enemy. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us whatever a man thinks in his heart, so is he, whether it be good or bad. There are things of my past in my generation that I believe because it was a part of my upbringing that was wrong. And as a result of that, I have to be mature enough by being a man of God to get into scripture and declare no matter how I was raised and how it felt and no matter how much I bought into it, no matter how much a part it's ingrained in me, I have to change. That's called maturity, it's called growth. Now let me ask you some hard questions as believers here and now about church culture. Is it possible that we are so trapped into a view of church as a facility, as a place, as a one a week event of worship where we sing three songs, we take up an offering once in a while, we'll sing a special, and then we have preaching of the word. That are we so intrigued in that that we have that we've missed the purpose of God for the church, for the congregation, and for the work of God in the city through the church and by the church? In other words, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temple, the synagogue, each represented a place to which people encountered God to worship Him on a daily on a daily basis in some areas. The model was centripetal. I didn't say centripetal, I said centripetal. And it means a force that draws from the outside to the center. It was come to, bring to, model. In the Old Testament, they brought their sacrifices. They came to the house of God. However, in the New Testament, the holy place is replaced by a holy person, Jesus Christ. He became God and housed, according to John 1.14, the word became flesh, amen? In the Old Testament, we had God dwelling in tents, tabernacles, and synagogues. But now in the New Testament, we have God dwelling in a fleshly body of Jesus Christ. He became the tabernacle of God among men. Amen? Everybody with me on that? And with this in mind, John, especially particularly in his writings, made the point that as the paradigm shifted from a holy place to a holy person, 
then then subsequently, it created a holy people by salvation through Jesus Christ. In other words, we became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. To as many as received him, to him became, to him he became power to become the sons of God. You and I are children of God, bought by a price, washed in the blood, justified, regenerated, saved by grace. Hallelujah. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. We're heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. You and I are that are saved. Now we see not a church building, not a synagogue, not a tabernacle housing the presence of God, but now we would see the New Testament church not in the form of a building, but in the form of a people, a body housing God. Amen? This is why that the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he said, what? Know you not that your bodies is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you which you have of God and not of yourselves? He said, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. Jesus said this concerning the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16, 17. He said, and I will pray to the Father and he'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of the truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him because not only is he dwelling with you, but he shall be in you. This is talking about our bodies becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling and residing inside of us. The church building is now replaced by the life of every believer who now houses the very presence of God. We, the believers, the Christians, the ones saved by the blood of Christ are now what is called the body of Christ on earth, the church, the revelation of God. Amen? Look at somebody and say, you're the church. And Jesus is the head of the church, according to Ephesians 5.15. We never need to forget that. But if you don't like the church, you don't like yourself because you're the church. When you mention the palace of praise, the palace of praise is not represented in the spirit realm by a building. The palace of praise is represented in the spirit realm by you who are part of the kingdom of God. You are the church. I am a church, you are the church. Those of us that are saved are a part of the church of Jesus Christ, his body. And even as Jesus come to make the Father known, we are now to make Jesus known by being his working, functioning body on the earth. This is why that Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16 about us. You are the light, you are the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill. Uh, you, neither, he, says, uh, he says, and it cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick where it gives light into all of the room. Let your light so shine before men that, you may, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. And you're lighting to be put under a bushel, but it's put upon a candlestick where all can see. And then you are to let people see your good works that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. Even as Jesus revealed who he was by the things in which he done, they bared record of him. How many know that? Matter of fact, Jesus said in John 14 and 11, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me or else believe for my very work's sake. In other words, Jesus says, if you can't believe that I'm a part of the Father and the Father's a part of me, then just believe by the works that I do. And matter of fact, he says in John 10, verse 37, 38, he says, if I do not do the works of God, don't believe in me. And he went on, but if I do do the works of God, though you believe not me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father's in me and that I'm in the Father. And then he went on in John 10 and 25 and he says, I told you and you believe not the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. He said, I come and I tell you who I am, but you don't believe me, but the works that I do of my Father, they testify to me. They're screaming, they're yelling, they're, they're, they're literally proclaiming and shouting that I am the Son of God that I say to be. Even as Jesus revealed the Father by the things in which he done, even so you and I are to reveal Jesus by the things in which we do. We're his body. Amen. We are the functioning, living, vibrant body of Jesus Christ on the earth. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, verse 12 and 13. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me in the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How much more clear is that? He said, I want you to know you're, what I've done, you're going to do. And not only are you going to do what I've done, but you're going to do greater works than what I've done because I'm going to the Father. And you're going to do them because you can ask anything of me and I'll do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Amen? Then Jesus said concerning his body in Mark 16, verse 17 and 18, 
And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's marvelous, isn't it? The church, the body of Christ, is empowered, equipped, and anointed by the head, Jesus Christ, to do the works of God. We are the anointed of God. The anointing breaks the yoke and the power of sin over people's lives. How many believe that? Inside of all of us dwells the anointing of God to do the works of God. Not some of us, not just a few of us, not just a handful, not just leadership, but this whole body is to be energized, anointed, called, equipped to rise up and manifest Jesus Christ through their mortal bodies. Help me preach, God. Oh, we're fixing to get in sometimes. Then I have to ask you a real question. We have to ask, let's be honest. Why is there not the miracles and signs and wonders today as there was in the early church? We have signs, wonders, and miracles right here. I'm thankful we're going to be having a lot of, they're, they're growing. Can you give the Lord another applause? We're going to be having a lot of testimonies coming. Some marvelous things that's taking place in our church. But when it comes to comparison to the early church in the book of Acts, we are living way beneath our privilege when it comes to the signs and wonders. How can I have an agreement in the body? It's because of our concept of ministry that we bought into in the 21st century. We've allowed our culture to dictate to us of how that we are to do ministry. When the dynamic shifted from the Old Testament from where God was real in tents and temples and synagogues and churches and buildings and structures to being revealed in a person of Jesus Christ and through his body, the church in the New Testament, a new dynamic of ministry, a ministry came upon the scene. As we have already stated in the Old Testament, the way people encountered God was seeking out a structure in which he actually housed himself, where he dwelt, where he come down, where he put his stamp of approval upon. On the matter of fact, the Ark of the Covenant was a prime example. He dwelt upon the Ark of the Covenant. But a new dynamic changed when Jesus came on the scene. It changed from being centripetal to being centrifugal. Now, they're my hard words for me to say. I had to practice them for a long time. Centripetal means a drawing to, a force that draws from the outside to the center. It's in the Old Testament where you went out in the outside and brought them to the center, into the temple, into the structure, into the church. But centrifugal, when Jesus came, means a force that pushes out from the center to the outside. Oh, God, help me right here. The old come-to model was replaced by the command of Jesus in the Great Commission when he said, go ye. The Old Testament saying, come here. The New Testament says, go there. Come on, somebody help me preach right here. The Old is saying, gather in, and the other is saying, go out. Oh, hallelujah. Matthew 28, 18, and 20, the Great Commission, what did Jesus say? All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. What did Jesus say? Go ye, you, church, body of Christ, go ye out. Preach the gospel out there to every creature. In the Old Testament, God moved in temple structures, but in the New Testament, God moves through his people. Hallelujah. Our problem today is that we are too preoccupied with buildings and ceremonies, events and festivals. You listen to me? The majority of our faith and ministry is in the, in the church world is exercised in the confinement of the church building and not out in the world at all. Hello? For decades we have all been guilty, especially since the rise of the mega church movement. It has made it easier to slip back into an Old Testament style and mode of worship. We have emphasized an attraction to come to our building, come to our structure, come to our event, come to our dwelling. Nothing wrong with that. Now, I'm gonna, I'll preach that a little bit later. Our emphasis is on drawing from the outside to the center. Ministry has become all about getting people crammed into a church. And in some churches, there's no ministry at all outside of the building, none. And matter of fact, in some churches, there's very little ministry going on in the church. God help me there. Everything they do is putting emphasis on drawing from the outside to the center. We have drifted more to entertainment in the 21st century than we have enlightenment. We have drifted to inspiration. We like the feel of inspiration more than information. We have focused more on larger crowds than we are on larger and deeper people. 
Our focus is more on bigger, because we think bigger is better, than we are on healthier. Help me, God. I want a big church, but I don't want it at the expense of not being healthy. Hello? God wants us big. Nothing wrong with big, as long as big is healthy, and it's not just a big gathering to do nothing, but just toot our horns and go out of here doing nothing for the body of Christ or for the kingdom of God. As a consequence, new studies indicate right now with all of the stage lights, the sounds, the Sunday services, and a lot of mega churches around the world have become nothing but a production than presence. It's come more like a concert than it has a worship event. God, let that not happen to us here at the Palace of Praise. I love talent and I love what we do and nothing's wrong with staying contemporary. I'm not against that, but I want to tell you something. God put a, something in my spirit. God's saying it's time to quit having a mentality of production in the church world around America and it's time again for presence. The presence of God. The Shekinah glory of God. The Chabad had almost shunned to high. Where he comes down and people can't even, can't even respond because the presence of God is so strong that they fall out on the floor and there they agonize before God and they understand that he's holy and he's reverent and there's a fear of God in the house of the Lord. Oh God, give Lord praise for where we're headed here. The new model of going back to the Old Testament style of worship may gather in people, but it's having fewer true discipleship, living Christ-centered lives, less Bible believers, and less evangelism. There's no one living their faith out by going out and making disciples for Jesus Christ. Hello? If I do a poll here today and say, how many of you spend more time gathering in church events than you do in witnessing and making disciples outside, where would you be at in, your, in the statistic? Woo! Kind of hits home, doesn't it? Where's our priority? What emphasis are we putting on discipleship, soul winning, evangelism? The priest and the temple authorities in our text were so committed to their model that they could not embrace the idea from the, their own scriptures and by the mouth of the Messiah himself that the temple was to be a house of prayer for the nations. But they made church all about themselves. Their prayers were all focused upon their pain, their interest, their needs, their wants, their desire, their present day dilemmas, and there was very little to no missional prayer involved at all. Ooh. There was no prayer over the sinner, no prayer over the city, the nation. There was no prayer over the will of God. It was all about, oh, God touched this, oh, God moved this. Everything that affected them, that's what they prayed about. As a whole, the church is all centered, in, all centered on self-interest and it's not missional in the 21st century in America. Jesus wasn't asking the church to do more of their regular self-interest praying, but he was calling for a complete change in emphasis. Amen. He don't want us to keep on doing just more of what we're doing. He's saying there's nothing wrong with having petitioning prayer, but when are you going to have to, when are you going to learn and grow that it's not all about you? When are you going into missional praying? He was calling it to missional praying to inclusion. That's what he was calling. He wanted the body to buy into a new structure. He wanted the body to understand a New Testament approach to ministry. And in many cases, our worship has not arrived out of a missional emphasis either in the 21st century. I want you to look at a parallel in scripture with me just for a moment. And I'm going fast and I'm butchering a little bit because I'm butchering my words, but I'm trying to get this out. In Leviticus, the emphasis upon the sacrificial offerings, the altar, the ceremonies, the feast days, the priesthood, and et cetera. We could go on and on. That's what the whole book of Leviticus is all about. But the sub-theme was on holiness, folks. It was a call away from their sin. And matter of fact, the sacrifices were to be a bloody reminder that the wages of sin was death. The ceremonies were designed to encourage holiness among the people, but their meaning somehow was lost in the minds of the people. And matter of fact, they came to separate the practice of sacrifice and worship from the principle of holiness. So God then begins to say, that ain't gonna, uh, God says, this ain't going to work. I've, I'm bringing them into these ceremonies and these festivals and all of these different things to reveal myself and the subline is for them to live holy, for me to reveal myself, to make myself known through experience. How many knows that you got to have experiences with God? 
Some things can't be taught, they have to be caught. Amen? Very important. But even in their experiencing God, they come to the place in Leviticus to where they no longer were allowing the principle of holiness to be among their worship. So God says, okay, we're going to go a little bit further. We're going to have Moses write the book of Deuteronomy. In contrast, Deuteronomy places the emphasis upon the law, not on ceremonies, not on worship, not on festivals, not on altars, not on experience, but the principle of the law prescribed holiness in the daily practice of the people. It put its emphasis on their daily walk. They had to learn how to walk out what they had experienced. That's what the law was to do. In Leviticus, the priests were called to assist the people in their worship, in their pursuit of God, to lead public worship and ceremonies and the celebrations and the festival days and all of that. However, in Deuteronomy, they were called to teach and disciple to instill discipline in the people. They were to live their lives as examples before the nation. That's what the children of Israel were to do. One was focused upon the celebrations, the feast and all of that. That was Leviticus. While the other, Deuteronomy, was focused on teaching, training, and discipleship. How many knows we have to have both? They're both vitally important. There's some things you can be taught, but until you experience it, it never comes alive in you. Amen? And there's some things you can experience to doomsday, but if you don't get taught, you have no structure and you have no teaching, you have no maturity. The problem came when the Leviticus experience became more important than the Deuteronomy experience to the Jews. The worship and drama was more exciting than discipleship. Leading a pageant or a production, the festivals, the celebration, and the feast days become more thrilling than teaching of the law. So what eventually happened was this. The sin and the trespass offerings were eventually ignored and nullified, while the burnt or the whole offerings, and particularly the grain offerings and the peace offerings, were promoted. Why? Because these offerings were promoted because they gave something back to the people. In the sin and trespassing offerings, nothing came back other than the forgiveness or their sins were pushed for, but they didn't feel it, it wasn't tangible. But in the peace offerings and all that, things were given back to them. The festivals were expanded while the Deuteronomy experience faded away. The priests got fancier robes. The tabernacle of tents that was so simple gave way now to the temple where more elaborate ceremonies and festivals and celebrations could happen. The people talked less and less about a holy God. Nevertheless, the traveled, they traveled to Jerusalem for what became a fantastic series of annual feast day celebrations and it exploded. The whole city was immersed in these parties. The population of Jerusalem actually swelled as much as tenfold during these annual events. Worship became big business, just as certain festivals have today. They were highly profitable for the people because they sold sacrifices. They'd come, you need a sacrifice, yours ain't good enough, so they'd trade that animal in, and it was like trading for a new car. You had to have the right kind of sacrifice. And in today's terms, it's like this. They're selling books, tapes, trinkets. Is there anything wrong with that? No, I'm not saying that's wrong. But what is wrong, it's wrong when it becomes our emphasis and it becomes our priority. Are you listening to me? The problem with these festivals were they did not produce a holy missional people. The temple leaders did not freely open their altars, not even to their own people without a price because that became their priority. That became their focus. And now you have a people that don't want to be taught. Teaching's boring. Discipleship's boring. But let us come and let us celebrate. Oh, we don't want to hear that stuff about the law. That sometimes condemns it. We don't want to sit in a classroom and hear somebody talk and read a book and, and expound to us and teach us. We're not interested in that in our century. So create something for us that we enjoy. Create us a big production. If you'll create a big production and get an atmosphere that we like, we'll come into your church. So what has the church done? We've accommodated that. But are we breeding the same kind of people that Israel breeded? A people that now loves celebration. Loves the experience of worship. Loves the emotion. Loves the feel, but they hate the discipline. They despise discipleship, training, development. Look around the world, folks. Sunday schools no longer exist. 
Churches don't even have Wednesday night in several places. It's become one big church event on Sunday morning where everybody gathers and feels good and goes through this big production. Lights, media, action, roll. We all walk out feeling good, but the problem of it is we have despised the Deuteronomy aspect of God. One Sabbath followed another, but no change. One feast day after another, after another, but they were not, be, but they were, they were coming to their feast, but they would become a holy missional people shouting to the nation saying, have you seen our God? They weren't doing that. Does this sound familiar in comparison to certain sects of the church world of today? One survey taken some years ago, around the year of 1999 to 2000, concerning the mega church, church themselves in America. Some of the pastors let this group in to do a survey among these top leading churches. And in that, they took a survey and they found out there were li very little difference in the way the church lived and believed compared to the world. Are you listening? They were asked questions about adultery Abortion, divorce, drinking, same-sex relationships, giving, uh, discipleship, on and on and on. There are tons of different kinds of topics they were asked about and surveyed on. And when it was done, they found out that there was very little difference between the way that megachurch people live versus the way the world lives. That the viewpoint of the believer in megachurches was just about the same as the viewpoint of people that were unregenerated. Now, let me say this before I get myself in trouble. That was not a survey of all, nor does it represent all mega churches. Amen. Everybody understand that. It was a, a, a small segment that that was surveyed. But in every one of them, that was the case. These churches had radiant light shows, outstanding bands, high-tech media displays, great big events. And they packed out every Sunday celebrating every single day on Sunday, but when the multitudes left, they left unchanged. I do not want that to happen to the palace of praise. Hello, are you with me here today? I don't want us to become a church where we put all of our emphasis on, come and see a show. Come and see us perform. Come and see who we are. If anything, I want you to go out and show them who you are. Show them who you are when you sit there under great stress on a job and let them watch your light shine before men. Amen? Show them who you are when you're in the trenches of your daily life. Show them who you are when they're in trouble and you're out there ministering to them about the grace of God that's able to sustain them. Multitudes came and went, yet unchanged in the Old Testament. These people were caught up in an Old Testament Levitical style of worship. God's calling our church to a New Testament style of worship. Am I losing you here today? He is wanting to end worship that has become entertainment instead of worship. He's wanting a sobering, solemn encounter with God when we come to worship. He doesn't want our worship to mirror pop culture, but he wants our worship to mirror kingdom culture. Amen? The New Testament's focus of ministry is on go ye. Go ye. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Notice that there were no signs, no wonders, no miracles in the New Testament church until Jesus launched his 12. Did you notice that? The signs and the wonders actually multiplied when he sent his 70. Each time there was a sending out by Christ, there was a multiplying of signs and wonders and miracles. That's why that Mark 16 and 20 says, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word was signs following. That as they went out preaching, signs and wonders followed them. They were anointed. Everywhere they went, everything they did, the signs and the wonders, they followed them. Amen? And then we see in the book of Hebrews chapter two, verse four, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. The Bible says that signs and wonders followed them and gifts of the Holy Spirit followed them. God bearing record of them. What's that saying? God was saying, you are bearing record of me, so I'm gonna bear a record of you. He's there now 
allowing the body of Christ to reveal who Jesus Christ is in power and glory. Most of the miracle signs and wonders wasn't done in the church or around the temple, but they were done outside of the church. Very few were done in or around the temple. There was some. They did not have a mentality of ministry that drawed from the outside to the center. Their concept of ministry was a force that pushes out from the center. It was not a come to or bring to model. It was a go ye model. Go, church, go. As they went out, the Bible says they came back rejoicing because the spirits were subject to them. They never knew that by hanging around the temple. They only found that out when they went out and started laying hands on people, casting out demons. Can I have an amen? Their worship wasn't trying to get God to show up in the New Testament. It wasn't a hide-go-seek mentality where, it, where the people came into a church every Sunday morning and tried to find God because he's in, elusive and he's hiding. In that kind of a mentality, the 21st century church, we come in here and all of a sudden we try to find God. We try to call God down. He's, he must be in, unengaged. And matter of fact, he must be in hiding. So somehow, before we leave here, we've got to do certain things, push certain buttons to kind of create something that makes him move. I want to tell you, God's moving all the time, whether you're moving or not. I'm about to preach here. So we come in and we come into the palace of praise or we come into other churches. We've got to find God. Where is he at? Why ain't he here? Why ain't he moving? And all of our mentality is coming in to a structure to try to find God. Old Testament stuff. Hey, I hate to tell you something, but God was out there before you ever, you ever came in here. You know how the Bible, the New Testament structure is? Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into the courts with praise. When you drive on the premises of the church, you're to begin to worship. Hallelujah. You're not coming in to find worship. You're bringing worship with you. Oh, somebody help me preach. I got to get on my notes or I will be here too long. I understand time's getting away from me. There was, the worship wasn't a band or a worship director begging, pleading, leading you. Know, come on, folks. Come on, people. Shout to them. Come on, people. Come on. I hate to tell you this, but God has not made cheerleaders to be on stage to try to promote us to where somehow we can feel good about what we're doing so that we can come into the presence of God. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm getting mean now. Anyway. It wasn't someone trying to talk you into the mood of worship. I want to tell you something. If you've got to try to talk a congregation in the mood of worship, you're wasting your time. You can't talk people into the mood of worship. The mood of worship derived out of God manifesting in their lives outside the church. It was a worship that was charged with excitement by the previous signs and wonders and miracles that occurred outside of the church being manifested in their lives. They were coming in celebrating and exalting, offering thanksgiving to God. They were coming in overwhelmed, humble, trembling, and fearfully amazed at the power of God that worked in their life the week before. They come in and they were saying, wow, even the spirits were subject to us this day. I seen this miracle. I seen that miracle. And they're coming in and they're celebrating what God has done. That was the reason for their worship. It wasn't in hog. I was trying to come in and find God. They found God, come in, brought him in with him. Can I have an amen? The mood of worship derived out of God manifesting their lives outside the church. It was charged with excitement by those signs and wonders. They came in rejoicing. The spirits were subject to them. They came in knowing who they were. They weren't trying to find God. They were manifesting God. Are you listening to me? The services was at production. They were celebrations. They were presents. They brought the presence of God with them. Their service was what entertaining at all. They were engaging. Can I have an amen? They weren't trying to get something out of worship. They were bringing something into worship. They were involved. They were participants. They were connected due to the meaningful displays of God's presence among them that week. I remember the miracles. I could just go in my life at the miracles. This is the reason why I worship. I remember when I was working at Gates Rubber Company and I was burdened for a, God had burdened me for a young man. His name is Mark Mullins. 
And I'd been witnessing to him and not having much luck. And I said, Lord, you've laid him on my heart. I've prayed over him. And I've been witnessing. I've been planting the seed, whether it be me or whether it be whoever. I just want you to have someone to reap the increase. And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Mark's job was to bend over and pick up hoses and then sort them out and put them in baskets there at gates. And I can remember the Lord said, when you go after the supplies, I had to go to his department to get the supplies to bring to the finishing department. And he said, when you go by him, don't say a word to him. Don't, don't do anything, but when you walk by him, when it says he's been over, just touch him on the back. I'm battling this. I'm young. I'm in my 20s. And that voice just keeps telling me that. So I'm going to get supplies, and about the time I get up to Mark to walk by him, he bends over, and I just reach, and I touch him on the back. When I walk two steps, I hear him, wow! And he raised up, and I could just feel him just staring at me. And the hoses in his hand went plumb to the ceiling. And I just kept walking, and I got way down on the other end of the factory, and I looked back, and he's just sitting there just staring at me like that. I'm getting my supplies. All of a sudden, he goes back to doing it, and the Lord says, when you walk by, do it again. So I walked by and put my hand on his back. Woo! The hoses went way up in the ceiling. He turned around and he said, Preacher, what are you trying to do to me? Put the Holy Ghost in me. <laughs> Signs and wonders. I could tell you events of seeing healings and miracles from Vera Power's feet that I've talked about. The size of footballs <clears throat> being healed right before my eyes. I can tell you of a woman by the name of Sister Haggie who was dying, who was sitting on her deathbed at 80 pounds. Her eyes rolled in the back of her head. She had the gurgling sound. They had the death rattles. She was dying and they ate up with cancer. We prayed two weeks later. She was back at church and she died 20 years later without cancer. I can tell you of me going to a a building of an old man that was living in an old shack, no running water, no electricity, very superstitious man, wouldn't let no one on his property, wouldn't let no one in his house. And, 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 uh, and he, everywhere he went, he was superstitious and he took a cane and every time he'd come to a church, he would peck around the church. He had some kind of a mysterious uh, belief about the spirit world. He's in his 90s. He come from Oregon to Dudley, Missouri on a horse. And all of a sudden, I began to talk to him from the road and then he finally let me chop some wood and then he finally let me store the wood by his porch over several months of working with this guy. One winter when it was about uh, five degrees, I went down there because I was afraid he might be freezing to death because the old house, I mean to tell you, the floors were out of it. The, it was leaning, the windows were, had gaps that wide and it was horrible. It was just a, a shanty that needed to be tore down. This old man was living in one room of it Finally, I knocked on the door and he said, who is it? I said, Chester, it's Kent. He said, come in. I thought, oh my goodness, I finally get to go in. And I went in and I could not believe what he lived in. And there he got up out of his bed. I said, stay in bed. He said, no, I gotta get up. And, I, and his old wood stove was beet red. I mean beet red where he was trying to stay warm in that old house. And it was probably somewhere around 30 degrees in that house. And I remember sitting down at an old table that he had made had two little chairs and I sat down with him and he lit an old coal oil lamp and that's all the light that we had. It's 5.30 in the afternoon in the winter and it would become dark. And all I could see was a shadow of this man as he turned on that coal oil lamp. I began to tell him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I sat there and I kept telling him and, kept, and I opened up John chapter three. I took a Bible with me that day. And I read John chapter three and I said, do you understand what I just read? You said, I don't understand. And I told him about being born again and how to be born again, how to be saved. And all of a sudden I said, Chester, do you want to be saved? He said, I've never heard that in 94 years of my life. I've been in and out of some churches in my younger years, but I've never heard this before. He said, yes, I want to go to heaven. I want to be saved. He prayed the sinner's prayer and the glory of the Lord came in that old dark room and lit that whole house up. And I want to tell you, I seen the glory of the Lord light up a house. And the man gave his life to Christ. I could tell you, me and Bill Marvin on trips going to St. Louis, we was driving down on 67 Highway just a few months ago. All of a sudden, God came in the car with us. 
God spoke to me and I said, Bill, we got to pray over a certain situation. Bill said, I have felt it too. And we grabbed a hope. We started praying. God come down. And God, we was going for one purpose, to see a man in a hospital. But before the day end was up, three people had given their lives to Jesus Christ. And we had come contacting the power of God in ways we had never seen before. Great mighty miracles took place. How do you think we come into the house that week? How do you think we felt a sense of satisfaction, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of gratitude? Our worship wasn't coming in trying, where you at God? Our, our, our worship was, look what God has done. Let's praise him for his mighty acts and his excellent greatness toward the children of men. Can I have an amen? I wanna, I'll close here in just a minute. It's almost 12. Praise God. You don't preach until you go to 15 after. When worship is all about self-indulgence, it only satisfies momentarily. That's why you got these big congregations losing 100 here and gaining 100 here. They just come and when the thrill's over and when the excitement's over and it becomes mundane, they leave you. There's no root. There's no maturity. There's no discipleship. Come on. But when worship is about divine overflow and giving of oneself to the cause of God, it fulfills. It satisfies. Amen. The reason people get bored with worship is because worship has come all about them. We have to get out of an Old Testament style of worship and get into a New Testament style of worship. The presence of God does not house buildings, temples, synagogues, or tents, but he houses us, folks. Are you listening to me? We're not in search of God. We're the manifestation of God. We're not looking for a touch. We are the touch of God to a lost world. We're not looking for goosebumps. We cause goosebumps. Amen? I like that. You know what I like as a pastor? Just to walk in a room where there's activity that is not conducive to Christian living, just walk in, watch them squirm. Here's the pastor. Hallelujah. My presence makes a difference. I love it. Sometimes people want to apologize, you know, and stuff like that. Don't apologize. It's who you are. You're unregenerated. I don't expect anything less. But I love it when my presence bothers them. Amen. I love it when I walk into a dark place and all of a sudden they see a lightness, a, a resembling of something. Oh, no. Hello? You know what is so odd? Is that when we do go out and we flow in the gifts, we operate in the gifts, we meet challenges, we fight fights, we do it with grace, signs and wonders start following us. And we come in all excited, we come in all pumped up, we come in with that kind of an act, dude. It sparks an area of worship. And for some reason, God says, I can't stay out of that. And God comes down. And God energizes that service. And he lifts people up in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he strokes them with kindness and loves and exhorts them and edifies them and builds them up in the faith. And then they get charged. And what do they do with the charge? They don't go around telling how good service was. They go out and they begin to say, hey, do you know Jesus? Hey, you're sick. Let me lay my hands on you and pray for you. Come on. They begin to do the works of God all over again. And the more they do the works of God, the more signs and wonders and miracles follow. Signs, wonders, and miracles are not going to come into the church until the church goes out of the church. And the signs, wonders, and miracles are going to start happening out there. And when they start happening out there, they'll start bringing the signs and wonders and miracles back to the church. Amen? I'm here today to challenge you for something. I am challenging you to just believe God enough to start spreading your faith, to start walking it out. I'm, I'm also encouraging you, plug into a life group. Plug into a Sunday school class. You gotta get discipled, folks. You can't just live off Sunday morning services. I cannot disciple you from behind that pulpit on Sunday morning. You've got to have the interaction, the kononia, the fellowship with brothers and sisters of breaking bread, sitting in a house together, sharing the word of God together. 
coming to Wednesday nights and getting acclimated in different classes. Getting acclimated in the, in the teaching of the word of God. Where's the Sunday school teachers at? They need to be screaming right now. You need to be discipled through the teaching of the word of God. You can't just come in and say, oh, I feel great about the celebrations y'all did. Your worship is fantastic. But if you have no discipleship, you've done nothing more than revert back to the old type of worship. You've ignored the, the, the sacrifices of burnt offerings and sin offerings and you're wanting every little offering that'll come back and cater back to you. You'll enjoy the celebrations, but you'll despise the discipleship and training. Would you stand, please? I hope I can. Again, to try to bring to is not wrong in the sense that you're trying to get people to come to church, try to get them to come to events are not wrong, but they can't be our major emphasis of evangelism. Our major emphasis of evangelism is you. Go ye, take ye, show ye. Are we not in the show me state? Show them, amen. You say, well, Brother Miller, I try and I don't see no signs and wonders. You gotta give them time to work. Stay consistent, stay persistent. It took me, well, I said months. It took me a year and about four months to get into that old man's house. It took me six months to be able to stand in his yard. But I stayed with him. I wanted to see that man saved. He's 94, he's gonna die. He don't know Jesus. And you know what happened after he got saved? We got him out of that, put him in a home. And you know what he's come and told us? We went and visited him. He said, Brother Miller, I don't know what that thing's called, but there's people that talk through it. And he said, man, I am intrigued. I really like it. And it's so warm here. And I get to eat. His whole life changed. You know what he was talking about? Television. He had never seen a television in his life. Look what God done for him. Sitting in a home, clean, bathed, shaven, smelling good. Got to get to know people around him. He was no longer superstitious. He got to talk. He'd lived about a year and he died. Went on to be with the Lord. And when I get to heaven someday, and when I walk in, I want to see that big blue-eyed Chester. And he's going to look at me and we're going to have us a fit for about two years. Just stay out of my way. Me and him's going to dance the streets of gold together. That's what it's about, folks. It's about memories. It's about life. You say, well, brother, God don't work to me like that. He will. You got to put him to practice. You got to get out there and start doing it. And stay consistent. Find you a place to plug in for maturity, for discipleship, for teaching, for training, for development. Come in and then celebrate with us on Sundays. And let's see what God can do when all of us go out and bring in that kind of energy, that kind of excitement. Coming in, oh, even the spirits are subject to me. Hey, today I laid hands on a, or last week I laid hands on a cancer patient and they were healed. Hey, last week I got 14 people saved. Hey, last week, last, when everybody brings that ball of energy in here, oh my goodness. You know what will happen to this church? It'll blow completely apart. Doing what we know to do and not being afraid. I'm gonna ask you to do something for me. If you got sin in your life, this is not to the sinner. If you got sin in your life, we want you saved. We love you. We wanna give you an opportunity to come first. We want to say, hey, we ain't going to do anything until we make sure that sinners are saved by grace through faith. If you're a sinner, if you're living in a way you shouldn't be living, you got sin in your life, it's practical, practice, habitual sin, you need broke off your life, I want you to come. Because there's power here today to deliver you in Jesus' name. If you're here today, I want you to come. I'm going to give you a chance to come. I'm, I'm offering you to come first. The second group of people I want to come and I want all my staff, come on staff, get up here. Chuck all of y'all, all of my council, all of my elders. Everybody come right up here and line up face the congregation. 
we're going to do something today. Now I'm going to talk to you for believers just a minute. Those of you that are non-Christians, the invitations all through this offering, um, uh, uh, this uh, altar call. Now those of you that are believers that are saying, hey, I'm willing to dare to try. I'm tired of coming in and going through the rituals and not being satisfied. I go through the rituals and it lasts for a while and then momentarily I lose interest and I fall back. It's just a vicious cycle in my life. It's because you have found no fulfillment and you've not found your purpose as a part of the body of Jesus Christ. You know what makes me function? It's not my role as a pastor. It's my role as a believer. Everywhere I go, I minister. If I sit down before I'm gone, I'm gonna minister. If, if, if the atmosphere's right with, where I don't embarrass them, I'm gonna minister to my waitress or waiter. Amen. I want you to say, I want to leave the Old Testament type of worship and I want to dare to believe God through me to have signs, wonders, and miracles to follow me and me make a difference wherever I'm at. And wherever I go, I want to learn how to minister. I want to learn how to bring up topics. I, want to learn, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to be overbearing. I want to learn how. I need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I want you to come forward if you're willing. And these people are not going to spend a minute on each one of them. They're just going to go by and lay hands on you and pray. For a 30-second prayer of commission, Lord, we commission them to go out in the highways and the byways and the hedges and to compel men and women to come to Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do. If you're hungry, I want you to come. I'm not begging. I'm not pleading. I want the elders and them just to pray, just to touch you. Hallelujah. Yes. Come on, church. Everybody ought to be moving here today saying, I want to be a part of the body of Christ, the living, vibrant part of the body of the Lord. If you're a visitor here and you're a Christian, you're more than welcome to come. Oh, let's pray for you. Move fastly. Just move through them, folks. Don't spend a lot of time on each family. We're going to have families that need the touch of the Holy Spirit. Then worship. Say, God, begin to set me on fire. Begin to use me. Begin to, Lord, let me be the called of God. Let me be the anointed of God. Let me better come in and have celebration in my life of the things that God's doing as a result of what I'm doing through Him and by Him. Hallelujah. In the name of God granted right now. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something out of work that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required You search much deeper within Though the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about one of the things I want to do is commission you here today in the name of Jesus Christ by the authority of the Lord be anointed by the authority of the Lord be of good courage and be not dismayed by the authority of the Lord go ye 
and make disciples of men in Jesus' name. God bless you this morning. You're dismissed. I'm sorry, Lord, for